Hello and welcome to Paving the Way Podcast. I'm Seth Moa, a.k.a. Essay. I'm here with Kenny Jean-Louis, a.k.a. KJL. And today we're here with someone that I grew up hearing about a lot, especially since I'm athletic. I hear he used to jump out the roof, to jump out the gym. People were just telling me, why don't you be more like him? I'm like, what? I, I don't know. I don't know, you know? Especially going to Vanier. Um, I've heard a lot about him back in, about back in the day, about what he used to do at Champlain. And without... Uh, further ado, Mr. Nigus McKenna. Merci, merci d'avoir accepté l'invitation, Nigus. On t'envoie un message, puis directement, t'as dit oui, t'es mec, qu'est-ce qu'on faisait? Puis t'es un de mes OG, puis il faut qu'on a des jeunes, puis là maintenant, on a besoin de OG, des personnes qui ont really paved the way. So, on voulait, on voulait vraiment t'avoir, puis on va. C'est ça, merci d'avoir accepté l'invitation. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. Definitely a pleasure and an honor to be here. As mentioned before, I really like what you guys are doing, so I'm definitely glad to be a part of it. Okay, so first question, when and why did you start playing basketball? I started playing basketball in about 1998-ish. Originally, I just started playing basketball to kind of get off the streets, basically, because I just didn't want to get involved in stuff that would get me in trouble. So that was the thing that I did best. I played a lot of other sports, like... Uh, street hockey, football, baseball, but I gravitated to basketball the most because at that time I was taller than everybody else. So that's basically the main reason. I'm from NDG. I was born on the South Shore, but I'm from NDG. So basically it was just a real tumultuous times, obviously, back in the day. So it's just basically a way to get off the streets and basically keep my keep my mind busy doing something constructive versus doing something non-constructive. Okay. Um, at what point, um, when do you start playing competitively? Like, I guess in organized sports. Competitively, I would yeah. say uh, it would have been about, yeah, about, about the same time, about 97, 98, I think. Um, around that time, um, my, when I got to NDG, you know, yeah, about 95, 96, excuse me. So when I got to NDG, one of my best friends, uh, Robert Steele, his dad, I uh, started a team uh, called the NDG Saints and we, they used to play at the, uh, at the rec. So it was just because obviously we all went to school together. I went to Wager High School in Cote St. Luke and we were close with each other. So um, just because of that, we decided to go and play and basically build a camaraderie. So that's when I think, yeah, like basically when I started to really play competitively, uh, it was the, the game came easy to me because like I said, at that time, I was just taller than everybody else. So I played my back to the basket. I played in the post. Um, I kind of emulated some of my, my idols at the time, which are Dominique Wilkins. That's half of the reason why I wear number 21. Uh, the other half, obviously, is Kevin Garnett, for those who know me, uh, and as well as Sean Kemp. So I kind of basically kind of modeled my game after them, and that's when I really started to basically get my feet wet and playing competitive basketball, playing for the NDG Saints, and obviously getting my feet wet playing at the NDG Rec, which is obviously like one of the, the meccas of yeah. Montreal basketball back in those times. It was crazy back then. So I think that was basically when I started to play competitively. Okay. And everyone uh, think that you put uh, Sonyut on the map, or maybe people were there before, but <laughs> a lot of people think, when they think of Sonyut, they also think of you. So can you uh, tell us a little bit about your time at Sonyut? I'm flattered that people, I'm synonymous <laughs> with Sonyut. I definitely didn't put Sonyut on the map, but <laughs> way before me. Um, I basically got hooked up with Sonyut because at the time, Um, my first year of grade seven, my first year of high school at the time when I was playing at the NDGY, uh, at the NDGY, excuse me, um, I was like part of one of the families that was going to get the holiday baskets basically for uh, Christmas time. And I remember going during the Christmas tournament 
and it was just like the energy inside the gym was so infectious and crazy. And then a lot of my friends basically knew people that were playing there uh, that were on older teams like the midget or juvenile team and just asked me to come out and play. So I doubled down uh, each of my uh, high school years. So I played at Wager, obviously grade 7 through 11, and I played Sun Youth. And then in the 10 years that I – excuse me, in the five years that I played, we won 10 championships. So I don't think I put Sun Youth on the map. I think I still have the streak for the most consecutive championships. But uh, no, definitely not me. There was basically greats before me. There'll be greats after me. But I'm just glad they have been part of it. Okay. Um, when um, at Sun Youth, um, obviously, I want to know: Did you develop your athletic ability at Sun Youth, or is this something that you were born with? How did you know you started doing the things that you did? No, nah, as much as I like to say I was born with it, <laughs> I'm going to be honest and say I developed my athletic ability at Sun Youth. Um, obviously, practices were intense. Coaches would push you. The first real coach to really, really push me is a guy by the name of Jim Sakharopoulos. Sorry if I butchered his last name. But he really, really pushed me. And I, uh, I just kind of started to develop in my mind like a, a thought process that I knew that based off skill alone, I wasn't going to be able to basically set myself apart from the pack. So I had to kind of bring something else to the game. So I've always prided myself on obviously being the most athletic or one of the most athletic, athletic uh, people on the floor. I'm always like really vocal. I just try to affect the games in a lot of different ways because at the time at Sun Youth, like I said, I had my back to the basket, so I didn't have the ball in my hands as much as, let's say, a guard would. So I just tried to find a lot of different ways. But to answer your question, yeah, it didn't. I wasn't born with it. Uh, as much as I, as far as I can remember, I was dunking at like maybe 13-ish, but I still attribute that. My first dunk was on the Sun Youth rim, so I'll attribute it to Sun Youth. And uh, how were you managing, like, playing on your high school team, playing for Sun Yun with school? Like, it was not, what, hard to do? It was easy because we did it, as, uh, we did it by committee. Like, everybody back in, those, in that day from that area, basically, we hung out together. So it's like guys like myself, Dwayne Buckley, Damian Buckley, Nathan Grant. Uh, like, we all hung together. So it wasn't really difficult to juggle both we would have practices for school before school obviously sometimes we'd have games and have to leave games from the game that we played at whatever school that we did to go to practice at sun youth but because we all did it together we kind of all policed each other and made sure everybody was 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 basically on top of what they had to get be on top of so it was wasn't that hard you know obviously it was fun because the camari got built basically stronger and seeing the same faces over and over again, obviously, the trust factor between the people that you played with and against, obviously, grew. You just named some big-time players, uh, the Buckleys and Nathan Grant. I want to know, how was the practices at Sun Youth? Practices were tough. It was tough. Like, we took it upon ourselves. Obviously, we were the young cats at the time. So we always took it upon ourselves to basically challenge the guys that were ahead of us. But practices were definitely tough. I've been blessed, obviously, all of my years at Sun Youth to have played with a lot of really, really good players, obviously. And it wasn't basically just restricted to players that went to my school. There's a lot of different players that didn't go to my school, maybe went to Westmount, maybe went to Marymount. So it was kind of basically a melting pot of talent. So it was really, really competitive. It made it really, really fun. And for me, it made the games obviously a lot easier because we were just blowing teams out left and right. So it was just practices basically were war, but they were fun at the same time. Okay, and all those guys went to Vanier, and you end up at Champlain. So why? Why Champlain? Well, originally, I wanted to go to Vanier, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I filled up my application to go uh, to Vanier. Uh, 
And then I remember wanting to go take it in, and my mom stopped me, and she's like, nah. Because JD, which obviously is a coach in Champlain. Shout out to JD. At back, at back then, there was a really strong tie between Sun Youth and Vanier. It was almost basically like a farm program for Vanier. You played Bantam, you played Midget, you played Juvenile, then you go on to play for Vanier. <laughs> you know, some of the same coaches that were coaching at Sun Youth were coaching at Vanier. So it was a really, really strong, strong tie between the two programs. And I think because of it, a lot of different other CJEP coaches didn't bother wasting their time recruiting me. Like, I know Olga never recruited me. Um, like I said um, before, um, the only two coaches that recruited me, aside from obviously Vanier, was, was Champlain and was John Abbott. And I think Dave, Dave was um, um, the coach back then. But it was a really, really strong tie between the both. JD, the first time I met him, he came to a Sun Youth game. Uh, he was suited and booted, big, long trench coat. And I'm like, I'd never seen something like that before in my life. <laughs> There's no way this guy's a basketball coach. I'm not taking him real seriously. I remember he gave me his car, his business card the first time I saw him. I threw it, I threw it in the trash. Uh, so he did, obviously, the second smartest thing that you could do when you want to get through the kid. He just basically jumped, hopped over me and basically got into my mom. So he tapped into her, basically sold her on um, his vision for me uh, in, the, in the program. And basically, um, I had to make the tough decision at the end of the day to decide if I wanted to be known in my area and just be content with basically playing basketball in Montreal or in Canada, or if I wanted to take it to the next level. And at the time that JD was coming around, it was, I, I thought I could, I didn't really think like, it was a possibility, like there was light at the end of the tunnel, but just the, the belief that JD had in me, he really sold me on his principles. I visited the school, and I remember visiting the school and having to walk through a study hall session. Um, practices obviously were intense. Weight programs were basically intense as well, and not a shot, a slight to Vanier. That was Andy's first year. Like he had just gotten uh, promoted from um, coaching double A because there was a coaching change at the time, and I just felt more comfortable after obviously my mom drilling into my head okay i should make the tough decision and choose to basically separate myself from the pack in terms of my friends make the tough decision to go to champlain i remember making a deal with her when i did decide to go i told her i would give it a year and if after a year i didn't like it i was going to transfer that's how much i obviously i wanted to play with my friends mm -hmm. um but ultimately i stuck with it i remember the first division coach i met he was stan heath he was a coach at Stanford at the time. We picked him up from the airport, JD and myself, because he was on the way to a practice. And I remember, like, I didn't really care. I was just really salty about being at Champlain. So I had my headphones in. I wasn't paying attention to anybody. I was just that salty about it. That's how loyal I was, basically, to my friends. And I know when people found out originally that I did obviously decided to go to Champlain versus Vanier, a lot of people were kind of shocked. But... I felt it was the best decision for me long-term versus short-term, and I'm obviously proud of the decision mm -hmm. I made. Mm -hmm. At what point, at what point, Sun Youth, did you know that you want to play at the, at the CJP level? Did you know, like, going in at Bantam Midget, or is it during juvie year, you were like, you know what, I think I want to go play CJP? Uh, I would say first year Midget, because mm -hmm. it's such a farm program, obviously, to play um, at Vanya after, at that time. Uh, I would say first year Midget, and then basically seeing all the holiday tournaments, Obviously, the midget teams didn't play. Back then, the juvenile teams played sometimes, but basically it was CJEP teams that were there playing against top competition, 
from obviously the states that uh, top prep schools that would come. So I always obviously wanted to be a part of that. I always wanted to play in the holiday tournament and it just became ingrained that, okay, this is what we do. Basically, you know, we play here, we play there. And basically that was it. So I would say it was first year midget where I told myself, yeah, I really want to play at the next level CJEP wise. Uh, and then after that, I think the closer I got to basically making it to CJ, that's when I told myself, okay, I really want to play after CJ. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, also, I just want to give it, uh, can you give a message to the kids out there? You know, a lot, a lot of them, they, they tend to follow their friends, you know, to go, like, let's say like Vanier, for example, if they're playing for Sun Youth, they'll, all of them will group together and go to Vanier. It might not be the best decision for some players. It's better for them to go somewhere else. Can you just have a little message of what, how, why it's important to, sometimes be kind of selfish and think about yourself and for the future to go to the next level. Yeah, definitely. It's always good to obviously prioritize yourself. Um, nothing easier worthwhile than life basketball or not is done without hard work. So sometimes it may be the tough decision, but the toughest decision that you make in terms of choosing yourself and betting on yourself, maybe the best decision you can make. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to tell obviously my, my young, my youngins coming up that I like to remind them that I was saying that everybody with you can't go with you. So, you know, it's going to be tough, but the real ones, your real friends and the real people and the, and the connections that you make will follow you no matter where you go. So it may be tough, but if you want to obviously take the easy way out, obviously you can do that, but it's always the best. Obviously, bet on yourself. Definitely bet on yourself. See all options, always, and make sure you're making the best decision for yourself in the long run because all the, like in the situation where you're just thinking about following your friends, your future is your own basically there's no dream sharing i always say you know always dream as big as you can i say it now obviously because i feel like i didn't want my basketball career but dream as big as you can i remember there's no dream sharing so you know the, the vision that you have for yourself you have to prioritize yourself in the in the long run and basically that'll help guide your steps no matter what you decide to do Okay. Before talking about your CGIP career, can you tell us what type of workout were you doing to, I guess, you say you started as back to the basket and now you were able to play guard. So what, what workout were you doing to, I guess, go from inside to outside? So I was doing a lot of ball handling drills. Uh, we used to play, like Jim was the first coach that experimented me with a, a little bit on the wing. So finishing drills where you basically catch and rip on at the 45, nothing too crazy. Um, it was always ingrained in me, obviously, because I, I started as a post player, that uh, my skills as a wing player initially it was limited to one to two dribbles. If I couldn't make a decision off of one to two dribbles, I'd have to give it up. So ball handling dribbles was, uh, excuse me, ball handling drills was a, uh, a lot of the things that we did. Footwork drills, nothing too intense, because it was be a tough transition to have someone that basically had never played the one or the two or the three basically just thrust them in a guard position. So that was the, the, the basics, basically. One, two dribbles, um, rip and goes, pull-up jumpers, mid-range, every now and then. And then the more I got comfortable with it, I think that's what J JD saw in me, and he basically tapped into that and decided, obviously, to develop that more. Okay. Um, I had a, a Champlain now, which you, you were on that amazing team that's still known to this day. You know, I think probably one of the best teams in Quebec or even Canada at that, like, period, you know. How was that experience being a part of that team? Like, walk us through that. It was, for me, it was epic. Obviously, I built a brotherhood with guys that 
basically still lasting to this day. Being fortunate to be part of, in my eyes, a movement that I, I feel like I helped create of guys going Division One, even guys going CIS. We had a ton of guys. I think the other day I was thinking about it, it was like about 10 of us that, that ended up going. It was, it's cool, obviously, to be a part of that. It's cool, obviously, that we hung up a banner. And it was just thinking back on it as way, like, much more memorable and meaningful to me, obviously, now that I'm, I'm past it. But being in it, it was like nothing other. Practices were war. But we had so much fun. We learned so much, learning the ins and outs. Uh, a lot of the stuff, basically the trends that people that played for JD after us, basically experience started with us. Like the charge drill started with us. The blue headband started with us. <laughs> you know, like a lot of the stuff that we did basically became a staple to Champlain. I'm just, just like over the moon, definitely proud to say that I was part of it. And when do uh, D1 offers start coming in? For me, D1 offers, I used to kind of ride uh, like the guys that were getting offered before me. I used to ride their coattails. So my first year, um, we had one guy go, Chad Caters, he went to Belmont. So that's when I kind of experienced what it was like to really have a Division One or Division One coaches come into the gym, basically in St. Lambert to watch you play. But the next year, that's when Bernard went. Bernard went to Kentucky. So uh, basically, I kind of rode his momentum to just kind of have open um, some coaches' eyes in terms of what I could do. So I think I used that to my ability, to the best of my ability. I always used to tell myself, yes, I know you're coming to see this person, but I'm going to make sure that you leave remembering me as well. I didn't necessarily want to play myself into a scholarship offer at that same organization, but obviously I knew the power of networking back then. Obviously, it's been uh, validated now because I know in the business, it's all about who you know and the connections that you make. So I always thought to myself that somebody may be able to make a call here or there, or this person may get rehired here and be like, yeah, I remember I saw a kid in Montreal who's really, really, really pretty good. So for me, I played three and a half years at Champlain. Uh, I sat out my first semester because I had to do um, a math course. So I think my first full year, that's when... Um, scholarships first started trickling in for me. My first offer was uh, at Stony Brook University in upstate New York, and then Sacred Heart University in Connecticut. And then as the play kept progressing and we started playing basically some top-notch competition at Champlain, uh, they started coming in more. So yeah, to answer the short answer to your question would be my first full year at Champlain. Okay. Um, you just named, you just said, you guess at 10 players that went on to play the next level which is insane um 10 so i i'm trying to think in practices for sure you said it was it was war it was war and it was insane what did you learn from other players since all of you guys were top prospects you know coming out of champlain what did you learn from each player like from uh maurice or max or bernard each of them basically have um a, a unique approach to the game that i kind of took uh, to my, basically to, to the best of my abilities. Everybody approached it differently. Everybody had something that they brought to the table that helped them stand out for the re for, from the rest of the pack. For me, obviously, it was the athleticism, but I like to be involved in a lot of the intangibles. Like, like I said, being vocal, cheering guys on the bench whenever where I'm not in. It wasn't necessarily uh, always stuff that you can basically measure on a stat sheet, but everyone's approach to the game, their attention to detail, and their discipline and sacrifice that they made to get there. That's what I kind of picked up from everybody. But, like, the list is so long. Like, it was Chad first, Bernard second, 
myself, Pierre Marie, uh, Mohamed Ashad, uh, Olivier Lamoureux, Max Paulus, Max Boudreaux, Canby, Maurice, and then that's like just Division One guys. Then there was like Junior Nicolau went to Bishops, Ricardo Telemann went to Bishops. So it was a lot of guys going to the next level. So basically seeing what, how everybody approached the game and how everybody would pay attention to, like I mentioned before, the finer points of it, that's what kind of set everyone apart from each other. And I just learned to know that, to try, to try to find ways to basically make myself stand out because I thought I had it kind of down pat at Sun Youth. But then basically playing amongst, as I mentioned, for like 10 other Division One players, if you will, at some point in time uh, in my uh, Champlain career, you got really got to find ways to basically make your presence known and felt and be instrumental in anything that you guys do. Was there? Uh, okay, go. No, I was just uh, about to ask. Uh, I know Champlain always do like tournament in the states. So, do you have uh, like a, some game that you play in the states? Did you play against top guys from U in the U.S. or? Yeah, for sure. I think for me, um, when I thought to myself, okay, I really could play at the next level and not just fit and be comfortable, I think is when I had 22 and 13 against Carmelo Anthony and his Oak Hill Academy team. Um, like, the scouting report for that game was basically there was a guy on the team by the name of Sonny Ibrahim, and I remember we spent all the scouting report talking about him because he was a seven-foot guy. We'd never really seen a seven-foot guy before, and it was just blowing our mind. Like, and I'm playing the four or five, so I'm like, how the heck am I going to stop this guy? And I remember it was almost like a footnote at the end of the scouting report. J.D. and Pete were like, yeah, there's this guy on the team by the name of Carmelo Anthony. You know, he's from Maryland. He's getting some high looks, so don't let him get any kind of, any kind of um, confidence. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, okay, he was, like, skinny, obviously. He was, like, six seven. He was playing the two at the time. And I remember going in the halftime, not really being impressed with him because he just didn't really seem interested, which kind of was the, often was the case when top-tier schools in the States were playing against a, a team from Canada. They usually think basically coming in, just based off name alone, they can roll over us. So I remember him not being really engaged. And I remember a possession with Muhammad, who was, he, he played the one. He was like a 6-7-1. He went to Northwestern. And I remember there was a possession where he stole the ball from him and scored on a fast break and kind of puffed his chest a little bit and got uh, Carmelo's face right before halftime. I remember going into halftime, we were down probably, I want to say maybe four to six. We came out of halftime. Coach Smith put Melo at the one. And then I remember the first time out, out, out from halftime, we were down like 30. Melo had like 25, two dunks. Like he was just affecting the game in so many ways. I think then I knew he was going to be special. I never could have were told that he would be obviously one of the top in my mind top 10 and that's obviously a stretch scores all time in the NBA for me personally but I think that was a game that stood out to me um another a game that stood out to me is playing against Rudy Gay he played for Archbishop Spalding in Maryland uh we went to a tournament um slam dunk to the beach and we played against him uh he beat us on a buzzer beater with a broken hand I remember that <laughs> I remember wow. playing against uh, Mount Zion, which is uh, the, the AU team or the prep team that uh, Tracy McGrady played for. They beat us on a buzzer beater. But, uh, yeah, Champlain, those were obviously, aside from the, the terrible losses, but those are the most memorable games. Yeah. Um, did, you, did, you get, did you feel any pressure in the beginning of the season, start at Champlain, knowing the team you guys had, that is either you guys win it all 
or it's a fit like complete failure season. Yeah, because we were yeah. underdogs. Uh, oh, you were? Yeah, we were underdogs to an extent because my first year, obviously, we flew under the radar. Uh, I remember we lost in the, um, the championship game, uh, and then our second year, like I was coming up during Dawson's dynasty, so Dawson was winning all the time. So. Yeah. You wouldn't really pay attention to us, to be honest with you, because Dawson was being ranked nationally. Dawson and Momo were basically the two big guns that I remember. Obviously, our trajectory kind of matched and mirrored, I should say, Vanya's at the time. But coming in, people kind of overlooked us because, once again, like it, always, it was always thought that basically there's a dynasty brewing uh, at Dawson, so that was it. So I didn't really have any pressure. And I think the fact that we thought that way kind of let us play more free free flowing and knowing that we didn't really have a target on our back we weren't basically being hunted we were the we were hunting people so it kind of basically helped us um know how to adjust to being hunted when we did become top dogs but originally and i don't think any any season that we had even like um obviously my the season that i left uh, before I left, excuse me, when everybody had committed Division One, we were just so used to it because we knew, obviously, how to play with a target on your back and obviously how to play as the hunters and not the hunted as well. So that really didn't factor into how, how we approached the game. Okay. okay. Um, my last question on your CJ, CJ career, who was the best player that you played against during your, your three full years? Who was the best player that you played against? Against? Um, I'd pro yeah, I'd probably say Carmelo. Carmelo no, uh, no um, on a CJP level, like just um, CJP league. CJP? Uh, oof, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, best CJP player that I played. I, I, honestly, I'd have to root for the home team. The approach and basically the, the skill that I saw Pierre-Marie have, Pierre-Marie Cespedes, I had never seen it from anyone else. I know, obviously, there's been a lot of guys. I know um, Kareem is getting a lot of notoriety. But back then, if you saw Roy Williams in the gym, it was like seeing him, a rock star. And I remember him coming to the Hagen tournament to see Pierre, and it was just nuts. Like, he had, his birthday's after, obviously a day after mine, so he and I are close. But just to see, like, his approach to the game, he was such a student of the game. He used to sit at home. His favorite player, college player back then was Baron Davis. He used to study all the films. And, yeah, definitely the way he approached the game to the point where it would just – everything just came so easy to him. It would definitely be, for me, Pierre-Marie Cespedes. Okay. Um, I want to know, uh, back then there wasn't no social media, no Instagram, no none of that, right? So it made it, it, made it even harder to get recruited out of uh, CJF to go Division One. you know? So I, what, how did you – I guess, uh, for yourself, how did you get your name out there, really, really out there? Yes, scouts came, and, and I guess for other players, and you had your moments there, but what did you, you do differently to get your name out there since there was no so, any of these social media stuff? Basically, I just, I just hooped. I just hooped. That's something I try to teach, obviously, to anyone who wanted to listen or any of my youngins, that don't worry about this offer, that offer. If you hoop, your game will speak for itself. So for me, I just hooped I didn't I didn't back down from a challenge no matter if it was at a basketball camp or if it was basically an AAU game or a CJEP game I just basically played and made sure that I brought a level of intensity that at that time obviously I had um, transitioned my favorite player to Kevin Garnett at the time 
And for me, that was just it. Um, so it was that. And obviously, I can't understate the effect that my coach had on my career. John D'Angelis, for me, is by far the most influential person in my life to the point I name like one of my twin boys ha- shares a name with him. He's my, one of my son's godfathers. JD, basically he's not only did he change my life, he saved my life. And just seeing that potential in me long-term, it was unheard of back then to be able to see me obviously used to be being playing the post and back to the basket and basically be able to know, okay, he's going to be a good wing player at that time. That wasn't really basically something that, you, you knew or you could see back then or foretell if you weren't basically playing your natural position fresh out. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was just JD did JD and Pete and Steve and my entire coaching staff at the time, they did a good job of promoting us. And we just, we just had to do the job of basically not proving them wrong. So I just let my game speak for itself basically. And ultimately JD did the rest of the work for me. Okay. Yeah. And how was your recruiting process? Why you end up at Western Carolina? My recruiting process was, for me, it was up and down. Uh, early in my recruiting process, I kind of felt myself falling into the, um, the habit of getting, falling in love with names. So by that, I mean a lot of guys are getting recruited by a lot of big names, memorable, notable names like Kentucky, Stanford, Georgia Tech, Gonzaga, this, that, and the third. And I always felt like, How come I can't get that kind of notoriety when I know I'm either on par or in some statistical categories, in some senses, or a couple of games here or there, I'm playing better. So for me, it kind of went up and down. Uh, it was uh, a slow, slow, slow increase. I got a couple of high, high um, division one offers. Certain things happened. Obviously, I wasn't able to, to go there. Like, uh, for example, my original college choice, I wanted to go to Iowa State. Uh, and then the coach just, uh, basically got let go uh, for something, some conduct detrimental to the team and the organization. After that, um, Baylor was sending me letters. Uh, that's when they had Terrence Roberts. Uh, they had John Lucas uh, there. And I wanted to go there after. But that was the summer, basically, that um, one of the players had unfortunately mm-hmm. um, shot and killed one of his teammates. And the coach covered it up. And basically, he got fired, too. So... One of the things I always wanted to do was basically not to overshoot my landing. I was taught by my coach at that time to basically visualize myself not so much on a team if I didn't have one that I was in love with and there were so many at the time. I was visualize myself in a conference. So after those things uh, fell through for me, I always visualized myself playing in the Atlantic 10. I wanted to go to St. Bonaventure. Um, But once again, basically coaching changes, the coaching carousel basically prevented that from happening. So ultimately, when I decided to go to Western Carolina, it's because for me on my visits, I always felt like somewhat of an outsider because I was from Canada. Like a lot of people, the first question I would get is, okay, do you, do you play hockey? Does everybody say A? Do you live in an igloo? And I'm like, we're not that far north from you. Like, it's so crazy. So for me, uh, uh, having that, home homish feel I should say was important to me and obviously I was in a situation where I had left obviously a fellowship of guys coming up from high school to go to Champlain so I really wanted to feel that fellowship and that family feel when I chose my college I chose Western Carolina because I liked obviously the organization uh, the program I should say excuse me 
Um, the coaching staff was really upfront and honest with me and basically didn't try to sugarcoat anything. And at the end of the day, when I went to visit, I myself was one of four Canadians that were on the team. Um, I developed interest or they developed interest through me. They basically had a, um, an overseas trip, if you will, um, my, the summer before my senior year. And then they played against an all-star CJ team that I was on with a bunch of other guys. So, uh, and that's how they got to see me. I think that game I had about 25. It was right before Kevin Martin decided to go pro. He got picked by the Kings. And, um, yeah, so they developed basically a liking to me. There's a guy by the name of Lanzai Landu. He went to Paget, uh, ultimately went to um, Northeastern, and then had found himself at Western. So it was kind of crazy to have another guy from Montreal on the team, he was actually my host on my visit. So for me, that's what made me feel most comfortable with choosing Western Carolina is because for sure, obviously I knew they had pro experience in terms of who they had uh, that left. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, it was just being, knowing that I wouldn't be the only Canadian and not feel that homesick. Mm -hmm. That's basically what kind of sealed it for me versus all the other schools that I visited. Okay. Um, uh, you're saying so at, at Western Carolina, what was, the, what was the biggest, I guess, transition challenge that you had to adjust from going from CJEP Champlain to NCAA? The biggest challenges for me um, from CJEP to college was obviously not having your parents around. I was kind of, I've kind of been on my own in my, obviously, my, uh, my basketball career for a good while. So I was already used to that. But for me, it was time management because you get a lot of free time. You may have one class like on one day and not have anything else to do. So it was time management. And basically the biggest difference for me that I had to get used to was competition wise. Everything is a competition, every sprint, every drill, every weight session, every rep, everything is a competition and getting myself up to speed quickly was obviously a priority of mine. CJEP does a trend, tremendous job preparing me for the next level because obviously the schooling system is kind of similar in terms of obviously your course load um, and obviously your freedom. So I, I'm very thankful for that. I didn't have set that hard of a transition basically in terms of that as I did some of my teammates. But the biggest difference for me would obviously be to turn every, obviously don't take any possessions off on the floor and off the floor. That and then in integrating all the other things obviously that come into playing at once like weights, mm -hmm. um, time management, as I said, individual workouts, like it really felt like, started to feel like a job for me. So yeah. I really reveled in it. I loved it. Okay. And there's some game that you still remember to this day that, um, that you played? Yeah, for uh, sure. Uh, my first college bucket, obviously, I think everybody remembers that. My first college bucket was at, versus Marquette at Marquette at the Bradley Center. I remember seeing Dwayne Wade's picture on the wall in the locker rooms, Doc Rivers, who obviously I'm a fan of. And, uh, yeah, my first college bucket was um, at Marquette. Travis Diener, who went pro, uh, Steve Novak, who went pro, a bunch of guys on that team. They were coached by Tom Crean, who um, was kind of crazy uh, in shoot-around. He walked out to the court and he remembered me and knew me by name because he was recruiting Muhammad Ashad and had come up to see us practice. So it was kind of cool. That was a cool moment for me. Like, wow, this is Tom Crean. But I definitely remember my first college bucket was Marquette. I definitely remember, obviously, um, playing um, in my conference tournament. Um, my 
for sure, obviously, because of the notoriety they had, I definitely remember playing against Steph, Steph Curry, two times a year for like two, two-ish years, getting our, our butts whooped pretty handily by him, seeing the things that he did to kind of set him apart from the rest, all the, 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 the memorable places that, we, that I played, you know, obviously, in terms of that notoriety that a lot of these colleges have, the names, like, so obviously, Alabama, USC, um, Maryland, Ole Miss, um, Iowa, Wisconsin, Purdue. So all the big Illinois, uh, obviously with the last dance that just just finished, I remember playing at Illinois against Michael Jordan's son with Michael Jordan in the VIP box watching. Um, So all the big games, uh, I definitely remember some of some of the little games for sure, but the biggest ones obviously will involve the biggest stars for me. So the, just to answer your question, for sure, the, the games that we played against Steph, those obviously are memorable because it's like, how the heck is he doing what he's doing? And oh, j- just quickly, and I was playing uh, against Max because you play with him and CJ, yeah. and now you play against him. You play against Steph, but you also play against Max. I did. So my first year, uh, the Max's first year was kind of a feel-out year for him. Um, so he kind of observed a lot, uh, basically, to kind of um, get up to speed. So I know he and I basically had a kind of sim- a similar first year. So it was cool to see him twice a year, obviously, once at home, once away. So it was kind of cool. And then uh, playing against him, I always used to tell people, um, well, tell my teammates, like, some of his moves, some of his tendencies. I told him, watch out. You know, he's a really pesky defender. Nobody really believed me at first. <laughs> and they saw it firsthand. Like, you really want to punch him in the face when you play against him, but you love to have him on your team. So it was really cool. One of my um, favorite photos that I have up here in my house is uh, Max and I basically uh, boxing out on a free throw, and he's wearing his Davidson jersey, and I'm next to him wearing my uh, um, Western jersey. So it was really cool just being able to to see him, see his um, uh, projection, see basically him develop into the player and the, like the tremendous player that he did at that time. So it was really, really cool to watch him. And it wasn't cool to basically get beat by him over and over again. <laughs> uh-huh. I think, I think we beat um, Davidson maybe, I know we beat him once, maybe twice. I may be pushing it. He'll correct me if obviously you guys speak to him, but it was definitely <laughs> cool seeing a familiar face. Um, so after um, your NCAA career, did you want to go play pro? What were your What were you thinking about doing after? I definitely wanted to play pro, but I came out. Uh, I graduated in two thousand and eight. I'm showing my I'm showing my age, but yeah, two thousand and eight <laughs> was like the first recession that we had out here in the states. So it was really tough um, at that time to get jobs. Um, when I first started playing basketball, uh, my dream was always to play in Division One basketball. Like if I took it a step further was to play in March Madness that unfortunately never got a chance to do. But when I look back on obviously the games and the teams that I played, I kind of mirror that to an experience playing obviously in a tournament. But for me, we never had any coming up, any uh, role models that were in the NBA that we could basically look at, look to reach out and touch. So uh, I didn't dream big enough. That was basically one of the biggest things that, I think limited myself. So I always wanted to use basketball. And that's another thing that I teach. Use the game, don't let the game use you. So I always wanted to use basketball to get out of the conditions that basically I came up in. So when I got out of college, I really wanted to go pro for sure. I had a couple offers. 
uh, I think one in like Syria or some far off place. And I remember just um, partnering and uh, speaking to some of my friends who had already been playing at that time. I reached out to my friend Muhammad, who is playing pro. I think he's still playing pro now, but at that time he was just getting his feet wet and just trying to wrap my mind around the possibility of moving to a place where, for example, English isn't the predominant language, where obviously people wouldn't be able to understand me. And I know at that time it was tough to get jobs. It was like tough to basically be able to, to live out of a suitcase, not make enough to pay your own cell phone bill. So I kind of prioritized myself at that time and thinking that I wanted to basically develop other facets of my game. I decided to take a break and basically just get a job. Um, ultimately, I think it was a good decision for me in the end. Uh, national team, I played for the national select team, um, but I didn't really see at the time uh, a good opportunity or a good chance or a possibility for me to get called up. So I decided not to do that. So I just basically wanted to go back home, uh, build a career for myself. I ended up obviously playing for some uh, semi-pro teams in Montreal at the time, but ultimately I really did want to go pro, but it was just tough times at, in 2008. So I just decided to, to stay home. Okay. And when coaching crossed your mind? It, it was kind of thrust upon me. Um, in my first year that basically I was home, uh, I remember I always used to go to Champlain just to get good runs in because it was always good players even if they were Champlain players or not. And I remember going once and seeing Max at a practice. Max was running the practice. And I remember it blowing my mind. I was like, wow, you know, his trajectory as a player is kind of impressive uh, because obviously I went from playing with him to playing against him. Now he's coaching and seeing him apply some of the, the, the principles and things that he learned at Davidson to, um, to, to practice. So I remember coming into practice, uh, hooping, getting into a couple of drills. And I remember coming into the practice the next day. And then after that, the next day, the second or third practice, Max pulled me to the side and asked me if I wanted to basically jump on staff. And for sure, I liked the guys that were there. I loved the camaraderie. That was the biggest thing I missed at the time, obviously, being out of competitive basketball. So I definitely knew that I wasn't uh, an X's and O's type coach. I've always prided myself on being like a player's coach, if you will. Um, and I just thought it was a good yin and yang to have Max as the head coach and me as the assistant, so I decided to jump on. So it didn't really take long, but it wasn't – I never played thinking, okay, after basketball, after I'm done playing, I'm going to start coaching. I just kind of was mm – -hmm. it was thrust upon me that I just developed a love for it. Mm -hmm. well, what, what's the biggest, I guess, the difference for you between being a player and a coach? Um, the preparation factor. There's so much more – detail, attention to detail that goes into preparation in terms of a scouting report. Uh, there's, it's so much more thorough. There's a lot of things, basically, film that you have to watch, that you do watch, obviously. A lot of things that you have to kind of decipher. So the attention to detail on everything is kind of cranked up. It's different, obviously, not seeing it from a player's perspective, trying to see it in a way that you can turn into teachable moments to the players that you have on the team and have it trickle down and really register. So that was the biggest thing. My competitive drive, I don't think ever really left. Um, as a player to a coach, I wanted to win every game that we played. I, it was like after any game that I lost as a player or a coach, after I didn't want to be bothered by anybody. I didn't just talk on the phone or anything. So, but for me, the biggest transition and the biggest difference would be 
number one, fighting the itch or the urge to jump in and obviously do it in the games. I kind of basically uh, had an easy time doing that because, as Kenny will tell you, I used to jump into practice all the time, right? I didn't. I don't think I ever really coached where I stood on the side um, and just basically taught things. I always used to jump in and basically show guys, compete, and kind of try to raise the competitive level in practice to get the best out of guys. So that was the biggest um, transition and the attention to detail being a coach and having to manage student athletes, having to manage egos, obviously from seeing Steve White, who was my financial advisor, my Shout academic Steve advisor, White. Yeah. Steve White getting his feet wet with us and then stepping into his role at basically Champlain on the team while Steve was still teaching at Champlain was kind of crazy. So running after guys for grades, this, that, and the third, and basically making sure they had their heads on straight. Everything, there's a lot of different things that you have to juggle and realizing that as a coach, you're not just a coach, you're a friend, you're a confidant, you're a father figure to some, you're a friend to some. So kind of mm -hmm. getting used to wearing all those hats at once versus just, okay, I'm an athletic wing slasher. I'll dunk on you if you give me a step or two. If you miss me on a box, I don't put you on a poster. Or if you leave me open on the wing, I'm going to train the three. It's kind of, it, it was different for me, but I loved it. Yeah. yeah, I remember, I remember those two years, like, uh, <laughs> no, no, I remember those two years. You never dunk on me, but I remember <laughs> those two years. But you, 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 def you definitely helped me during those two years and helped others. So, like, now, you were always... You were always now there. To trying to start lying, Kenny. You know I put you on a post. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah? Nah, nah. <laughs> oh. Okay, it's okay, man. Fun. I had fun. Like, I like to kind of – I thought to myself that as a coach, I wanted to approach coaching um, with the mindset that if I could have a fraction of the, of the impact that guys like John Daniels, Peter Yiannopoulos, Jim Sakharopoulos, Pat Sullivan had on me. If I could have a fraction of the, the impact that on someone's life that they had on mine, that I, I went to bed knowing that I did, like happy knowing that I did my job. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't uncommon for me to develop close friendships with guys, with players on the team as I coached. Uh, like one of the my, my first basically person that I kind of gravitated to when I coached was a guy named Makaya. Makaya Post. Makaya, shout out. <laughs> He himself, basically, I kind of took him under my wing. He was from, obviously, out west at the time. So I kind of prided myself to being able to show him around, do kind of things, and let him know that, obviously, on the coaching level, someone older than me, like an OG. I wasn't an OG then, but I was just I was older than him. <laughs> but still, basically, had his back. And for me, seeing the transition uh, and the projection and, obviously, the career path that everybody has taken, not just basketball-wise, because for sure, the accolades that my, my, my former players have, have, have gotten definitely obviously make me proud, but it makes me proudest to see them transition into other things. Like, for example, Makaya Post just passed the Florida Bar, mm -hmm. went to the University of Miami for law. So just seeing that and Big being time. able to be a part of it, I tell them all the time, I consider myself blessed to have witnessed that firsthand. And then a guy, a perfect example for me, the better example is a guy like Kenny. That was <laughs> a guy that... Sometimes I, I didn't know I didn't know if we were gonna have Kenny the next practice. There <laughs> was sometimes where it's like we didn't know we kind of had the game plan for okay what do we do with or without Kenny and just to see his um, projection and his basically path as a person for me makes me proudest because I always knew Kenny could hoop. Kenny was probably one of the top players that I ever coached in my life for sure. 
So I always knew Kenny could hoop, and Kenny had the ability to play at the next level, not just play, play and set himself apart from the rest, and obviously do tremendous things. But for, for me to see him, like, get two degrees, he's a teacher now, things of that nature, and the man that he's become, that's what makes me proudest. So mm-hmm. guys like him, guys like Micaiah, guys like um, Gabe Riche, who's going traveling all over the world to play basketball. That mm-hmm. makes me proud to see. Guys like Nolan Woodward, who is, I, I consider like a little brother to me. Mm-hmm. Basically being able to sit back and see um, them transition to men it, on the court, off the court, that's what makes me the most proud, just to be able to say, okay, I was there to witness it. I don't take credit for any of it. If they give it, I take it for sure. But I'll never openly say, okay, well, I, I did this. But I just pride myself on, I had front, front row seat to basically the development of someone special. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you definitely, definitely helped me. So thank you again for everything you did for I mean, me. Because, because I, I was not, li- I'm not going to lie, I'm, I was not listening to a lot of people, but you were one of the people that I was listening to. So, so thank you again for everything yeah, you did for me. I know it was me. tough back then. Obviously, there was a, la- a bit of a language barrier. I know um, you didn't really see eye to eye a lot of times with Max and felt like you didn't really have your back. So I pride myself knowing that I went, I, I, I go to war for you. That's basically my thing when I coach. If I go to war for you, you have to go to war for me. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it made me proud and happy. And I, if I do it again in a heartbeat. Plus, um, so you going from winning a, as a player, winning a banner, and now you, you, and as a coach, you want a banner for the same school that you went to. How does that feel? A lot of people don't get that opportunity, that opportunity to you know, do that. For me, it almost felt like um, things coming full circle uh, in terms of obviously starting a tradition and basically a movement that I, I, I think that I pride myself to a big part of at Champlain. Whereas when I came back, it wasn't just Champlain was sending guys to the States because that's another thing that kind of helped me make my decision. No other programs were really putting guys into the States at the Division One level. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a proud moment to come back and see that when I came back, it wasn't just Champlain putting guys obviously at the next level. It was a bunch of different CJEPs. So seeing kind of the fruits of my labor, if you will, kind of, mm-hmm. and being able to kind of vindicate myself and know that, okay, I impacted the game tremendously in my mind, obviously, as a player mm-hmm. with all my accolades, this, that, and the third, but to be able to do it as a coach as well, it felt like a, like a full circle moment for me. And I remember just thinking to myself, cutting the nets uh, when we cut the meshes down when we won. And like having a flashback to doing it as a player, I'm like, this is kind of crazy <laughs> yeah. for me to be doing this as a coach. And I did it a couple of years ago as a player. So that was one of my most memorable memories. Is there a reason why you uh, stopped coaching? For me, in, in anything that I do, I always want to basically devote all of myself. I remember um, after we won the championship the next year, I got let go. Uh, Craig Norman decided not to bring me back. And obviously that's fine. That's, that's part, of, part of the business. Uh, when Dan Martin took over originally, he asked for me to come and, and coach with him. Uh, I had a good rapport with guys. Um, obviously, I had a connection with, with the city guys. So being able to, to, to use me as a recruiting tool was something, obviously, that I thought was um, uh, basically something like that you can depend on. But for me, at the time, I was working, and my work was preventing me from devoting a lot of myself to, obviously, the game and to to coaching. I didn't want to really basically have to um, juggle both at the same time and give half of myself or a fraction of myself to coaching and 
basically not because I felt like me as a uh, as a player, if I saw a coach in practice, let's say you practice five days a week, if I saw a coach three days, three out of five days, or two out of five days, and in game time you're trying to t- tell me something, I wouldn't gravitate well to that because it's like mm-hmm. you weren't in practice, yeah. you're not seeing the work that I'm putting in, you can't go to war for me like I want you to because I haven't developed that trust factor. So I didn't want to sell anybody short, so I just decided to basically admire the game. Okay. Okay. Uh, Seth, you want to play the game now? or? Yeah, most deaf, man. Um, listen, uh, uh, we'll start with Kenny's game, actually. Okay. Yeah. So you need to tell me your top five player that you play with from PG to center. So one at each position. That I played with? Yeah, yeah. play with. I would say... Uh, um, I'll do all play. I'll say, yeah, Pierre at the one. Mohamed at the two. Uh, at the three, or I'd say yeah, Pierre at the one, Muhammad at the two, or I'd even slide, yeah, Pierre at the one, Muhammad at the two. Mm-hmm. I would even throw Maurice at the three that I played with. I'm doing all Champlain to rep my guys. <laughs> I would put, obviously, excluding myself because I'd slide myself into the four spot. I'd put Max at the four because he could play the four three and basically bring hell on defense. And then at the five that I played with, Uh, at Champlain, I'd say, yeah, Bernard Cote. Okay. And this game is called Start, Cut, uh, Start Bench, Cut. I'm going to give you three things, and you got to start one, you got to bench one, and you got to cut one. Okay? okay. So the first one, uh, one first three things is win in 10 championships between Sunnies and Wager. Being, that's unheard of. <laughs> and being, the second one is being a part of that Champlain team, Division One players. And the third one is being able to play NCAA Division One. I. I think I'd stick true to form and do as you did. Start obviously winning 10 championships for me because without that, I wouldn't have gotten myself to Champlain. So um, if I'm doing in terms of my progression as a player, I would do winning 10 championships first, then my career at Champlain and then college. If we're putting progression aside as a player aside, I would yeah. put Champlain first. Champlain for me, with the most memorable years of my career, as mentioned before, uh, the, the relationships and the bond that I've built, just being part of Champlain, uh, the Cavaliers team. It's funny because I was telling a story to uh, Maurice the other day, Maurice Joseph, and um, I remember after my freshman year in college, my freshman coach got let go. I remember that was a time where I didn't know if I wanted to stay uh, in the States. I remember calling JD and telling him, you know, call John Doerr, do what you have to do. I was considering going back home to play for Concordia. So at the school, we were taking interviews for a new coach, and then a coach came in. Uh, he had his interview, and everybody was basically greeting him one by one after after his interview, if you will. And I remember greeting him, and he's like, you went to Champlain? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you know Maurice Joseph? I'm like, yeah. And I remember him saying to me, he's like, that's the biggest miss of my career. He's like, my name's Larry Hunter. I coach at NC State. Um, we offered him a scholarship. So just for someone to see my name synonymous with Champlain and to align myself with stellar guys, obviously he's a tremendous coach, tremendous player, tremendous individual altogether. So that's what I really pride myself uh, basically on, to be able to say that I was a Cavalier. I was a trendsetter. I was a trailblazer. Mm-hmm. I definitely helped, did my part in paving the way for basketball in my okay. city. So I think that, for sure, I would hold in highest regards, so basically above playing Division One personally. But uh, that's just me. But yeah, that's what yeah. I do. Mean. 
Okay. Yeah, me, so. me. okay. Uh, just just one, one question. Okay, who you think should be the next to be in the Hall of Fame at Champlain? Because I think last year or two years ago, JD got in. If you, if you could put one player, like that guy needs to be in the Hall of Fame at Champlain, who he would be? Because there's like a bunch of guys, like there's like 10, 15 guys, all your team should be on there. Maybe the whole team should okay. be on there. So if, if you should, if you can take one guy, just one guy should be in the one Hall of Fame. One guy from the team? That'd be tough. That'd be yeah? tough for me. It'd be tough to pick one guy. Obviously, if JD's in there, I would love to see Pete in there because obviously they were a one-two punch. Um, but it's tough. It's tough for me to single out one guy from basically, okay, okay. basically the year. I would put the whole squad for sure. Yeah, they should have your whole team the whole year. <laughs> I'd put the whole squad for sure. Like, <laughs> like I said, we, big, we did big things. and Yeah, yeah it was kind of unheard of. Uh, Vanessa, I definitely appreciate you being on here talking to us about the path. Like you said, you helped pave the way for Quebec basketball, and you really did. And especially uh, me being a, uh, a uh, jumping, you know, I'm also jumping too. You know, I was, used to hear about your name every single time when I was younger, Negus, Negus, Negus. And I'm like, okay, you're like a godfather to the athletic people, you know? So, <laughs> I, uh, so I appreciate your time here coming on here, talking about your path. Like I said, um, you're a trendsetter, and uh, I just thank you for having me. No problem. Once again, like I said, I'm definitely glad to have been a part of it. In terms of my athletic ability, Kenny knows firsthand. <laughs> no, you, you, you never, you never dunk on me. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. But for sure, when you like, for me, I like to tell people. People used to compare me to Blake Griffin before Blake Griffin was Blake Griffin. I've been, unless until until you windmill on someone or three sixty on someone, or then a bounce between the legs three sixty, mm. off the wall windmill like we do at Champlain. You know, yeah. you got some work to do, but yeah. like I said, I'm really thankful to have been a part of this. Obviously, it's a really tremendous thing that you guys are doing. Kenny's one of my favorite players ever. If I had to make a top five list of players that I coach, Kenny would definitely be on it as my three. So um, I'm definitely proud to like simply help any way I can. And uh, mm. like I said, I told Kenny when he first reached out, I was kind of shocked and humbled that you guys would think of me because, you know, the OGs, some OGs like myself, we kind of like, kinda, you know, we know what we did. There wasn't any YouTube back in the day. So a lot of yeah. what we did was word of mouth, which I prefer that way. Um, so, but just to be able to be here, to be one of the first OGs that you guys bring on the yeah, show yeah. from back in my day and kind of bridge the gap between the old and new, it's definitely, I'm definitely humble and I'm thankful. Ouais. Merci encore d'avoir accepté l'invitation. C'est sûr, il y a beaucoup de personnes qui vont regarder l'interview puis qui vont apprendre de toute ton histoire et tout. Donc, merci encore d'avoir accepté l'interview. Thank you very much. No problem. And to our listeners listening, don't forget to subscribe. Once again, I'm Seth Moa, a.k.a. Essay. I'm Kenny, a.k.a. KGL, a.k.a. Freaky. Freaky! Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And stay tuned on our next episode. <laughs>